Hey everyone! Welcome to episode 334 of FSOP Collaborate and Listen with your host, Matt Payne. On today's episode, I had such a wonderful time recording with Sean Tucker, one of my favorite thinkers in the photography space. Sean has a wonderful YouTube channel full of thought provoking content and inspiration that has literally cha- changed the course of my own work. If you're seeking more meaning and understanding through your work, then today's episode is for you. Before we start, I wanted to make another plea for your support of the podcast on Patreon. Hear me out on why I think I deserve your financial support. For starters, this is the only nature and landscape photography podcast that has continued to bring you weekly content uninterrupted for over six years now. That takes a tremendous amount of effort, coordination, and dedication. Second, I do not accept any advertising dollars, so this podcast is 100% funded by you, the listener. If you find value in these conversations, your meager support of the show would go a long way in showing that value. I am a firm believer in the value for value model, meaning you pay me what you think this content is worth. As long as you're giving me more than zero dollars, I think that it's a fair transaction. For everyone who already is supporting the show on Patreon, thank you very much. You're literally my favorite people on planet Earth. (laughs) Please go to patreon.com forward slash f-stop and listen to support the show. Okay, let's get to this week's episode with Sean Tucker. All right, Sean Tucker, it is fantastic to have you on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. Your name has come up many, many, many times from former guests. And I feel like I hear your name all over the place these days. And it's just really awesome to have you here. Thank you. Yes, I appreciate that. Yeah, of course, of course. Well, for people that aren't familiar with you and and your work, why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself? Um, I'm a a photographer, (laughs) which is very obvious. Um, I also uh, make uh, videos on on a YouTube channel that sort of talk about uh, teach a bit about photography. Uh, a lot to do, especially to do with sort of portrait and street photography uh, and creativity in general. I try and sort of talk. You know, uh, there's a big playlist on my channel that really speaks to any creative people. You don't have to even be engaged with photography. I've got people who watch that who are actors or writers or poets or you know, it's a whole variety. Yeah, and I uh, I live in North Yorkshire in the United Kingdom. And uh, yeah, I moved up here from London about two years ago. I am uh, 44 years old. Ah, we're and... tied. Oh, really? Oh, nice, good, yeah. <laughs> That's a great age. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah, I'm, and I'm lucky enough to work for myself. You know, I can, I can do uh, the things that I'm doing. Uh, I, I wrote a book recently as well, and it's nice to be able to kind of pursue a bunch of different creative outlets and not, at the moment, I, I, I'm well aware that things could change and are changing all the time. But at the moment, I don't have to do client work. I can kind of make the stuff I believe in and pay the bills doing that for now, which is, I know is a huge privilege, but I'm, I'm going to enjoy the hell out of it while it's here. So. Yeah, no doubt. And do you have any, that's a random question right off the bat, like, any concerns about AI? <laughs> <laughs> AI. Um, I, I made a video about this about six weeks ago. I, to be honest, I don't really hold to the doom and gloom about AI. Mm-hmm. Uh, as far as I can tell, like people, people's worry about it is they're worried that what they're looking at from now on, they won't be able to tell if it's real or not. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but I said in the video that that's been true for a very long time already. AI, right. that's not new with AI. We've had th- Photoshop for 30 years. A skilled Photoshop operator can, can, can fool and does fool people regularly. So, I mean, just because it's, it's easier to do now, you, there might be more of it out there, but we've always found ways to catch people who are faking imagery and to know the difference. And I don't think that's going to change. I think we're mm-hmm. still going to, it's still going to be important how images are made and we're still going to be able to reverse engineer and work out how that works. I, I read an interesting thing the other day, and I can't remember where it was, that said, you know, because things like ChatGPT, for example, and the text space are being used uh, by students, for example, to cheat doing their assignments. But I'm already hearing about lecturers using ChatGPT itself to catch itself, um, to work right. out, you know, to, to run assignments through a filter and go, hang on, did, where's this come from? And like, yeah, yeah, you know, it's me. <laughs> you know? Right. Or whatever it is. I, I, and I really think, like, as fast as this stuff is going to de- develop, and it is developing rapidly, I think our ability to be able to tell where an image comes from and how it was made is also going to develop. And I don't think we're going to be that fooled you know and people go like well what about journalism I'm like yeah but but we've got very strict rules about you know being able to photoshop an image and put it in in, in, a, in a in a news outlet in a reputable news outlet if it was found that that was the case uh the outlet the photographer everyone involved would be fired and gone and and and, right. and we know that i don't think it's going to be different for ai i think everything should and hopefully will be clearly labeled and we will be able to know where things come from apart from that i think ai for artists is quite an exciting development. I mean, who knows where that's going to go, what people are going to be able to create with that technology. And I think photography is safe as a medium. I think some people's jobs are going to change. But I mean, my my job changed a few years ago. I was a a product photographer. And uh, 2016, I remember we we always used to get the catalogs in from the other product photography outlets and work out you know what people were doing especially when it came to natural light and room sets and we were flicking through the ikea catalog 2015 i think it was and we were going this is amazing we're not going to be able to keep up with this on our budget how are we going to do this and so we started doing some research about how they actually did this photography you know these beautiful houses and room sets and furniture and we 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 read it was the first year that almost all of that catalog was cgi there wasn't any photography in there but i've been completely fooled i've been completely fooled because it looked amazing um, and and that meant that my job as a product photographer went away. So, I mean, jobs are going to change. I had to readjust and, and shift within photography to keep being able to make a living. So that stuff is tough. We're going to have to face that stuff with AI for sure. But photography mm-hmm. as a medium, I think, is I think is safe. I think we're all right. Yeah, I'm with you 100%. I wouldn't have said any better than what you just said. So Cool. Well, Sean, let's get to the heart of this thing. I think what I appreciate the most about kind of your pursuits is that you are heavily focused on the more philosophical aspects of the creative journey, which let's face it, when you go on YouTube, it's like, you know, check out this banger lens or like, I can't believe what Sony did. And, you know, it's just, you know, it's just clickbait garbage for the most part. But I find your channel to be very exceptional to that and I'm curious kind of what spawned your interest in focusing more on that side of things I think it's how I'm wired I think it's what interests me you know I mean before I was a photographer I was a pastor in in church you know Mm. so I I come from that kind of more spiritual thoughtful background I think and even though I don't attend church now and I don't I don't have the kind of faith that would fit in any one church I think I'd be stoned in the car park um (laughs) 
<laughs> I think like I've always had this interest in spirituality or philosophy or psychology. I did a psychology degree at university as well. So all that kind of stuff has been in there for ages and it's the it's the stuff I read. I want to know about how we approach life and how we think and what motivates us and um and how we stay, you know, mentally inspired and all the rest of it and, and motivated to do the things that we believe in. And when I started a YouTube channel, in fact the first few videos I posted, this would have been 2015 as well. I was coming out of product photography at that time and I thought let me, let me make a series of videos, three videos on how to shoot large products in a studio, how to do cutouts onto white backgrounds and drop shadows and then recolor fabrics to any color you want. Because there wasn't a lot of information out there about that and I knew because I got looking for it about four or five years before when I tried to get this job. And I made those videos and put them out and they did all right. They got passed around because it really did fill a knowledge gap out there. But I watched those videos back and I'm like, I don't care about these at all. They're just dry tutorials. So I left it. I did what everyone does. You make a few videos on the channel and then you abandon it, you know, and I went away. <laughs> and I only came back about a year and a half later. Uh, and I made a video where I went to Snowdonia and tried to do some landscape photography, which is not my strong suit. But I was very honest about the fact that it was me trying something where I was in the deep end. I didn't know what I was doing. I was going to make a fool of myself but I wanted to be out of my comfort zone to refresh photography as creativity for me because I was falling out of love with it. And because it was like a very honest, almost little diary of, of that process of, of a photographer who was burning out, falling out of love with the medium, trying to find a way to fall back in love with it again, people really connected to that. And I think I realized it felt like what I used to do in the church when I used to stand up and speak on a Sunday because I, I, I was in youth ministry so I spoke mostly to 35 year olds and under mm -hmm. and it felt the same it was the same response it was the same uh, communication style I'm like that's it I can take what I used to do and love doing about inspiring people to get a better handle on their lives and I can do it in this space as well and that kind of set the tone for everything I did going forward I love that, and I know we're going to dive really deep into this later in the conversation, but I think what I appreciate that as someone who's been in photography for, I don't know, 10 to 15 years now is, you know, I don't really need YouTube to teach me techniques and stuff like that, mm -hmm. or, you know, occasionally it's nice to read about the latest lens or whatever, but, uh, you know, I, I seek out more of what you're talking about, like, I want to understand what makes people tick, I want... I, I am thirsty for kind of understanding how to become more creative, how to extend the life of this pursuit, how to tap into my own internal longings to create something that actually means something to me. And so that, that kind of content for someone like me is incredibly valuable, but honest, oftentimes it's not the content that people are super excited about and doesn't get a lot of views and all that. Yeah, I mean, and, and I think you have to count the cost, you know. I mean, I, I'm well aware that if I did more videos that give easier kind of bite-sized tips and tricks or talked about camera gear, which you should buy, my channel would be a lot bigger and a lot more popular and get a lot more views because most of the people who watch YouTube videos about photography are beginners. And beginners want that kind of information. They want, give me a quick tip so my photography can get better quick or tell me which camera I should buy. Those, those are the two big things. And because I don't focus on those things, I'm almost, I'm, I know that I'm creating a more niche channel because I'm trying to talk to intermediate to more developed photographers on a platform where, where they don't really hang out as much. It's like you just said, you're not going out there to watch a thousand photography 
channels. Right. I don't, you know. So I'm almost trying to make a space for a slightly more mature, uh, more developed audience in a space where they don't really hang out. But that's the stuff I care about. So it's it's my own fault, right? <laughs> yeah, and it's. I mean, what other platform would you use if it wasn't YouTube? You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 Well, let's let's talk more specifically about one of these videos just to give people an idea of kind of what we're talking about. As we kind of mentioned, you have lots of fantastic videos that I think can provide value not only to photographers, but really any type of creative person, whether that be poetry or writing or, I don't know, filmography, whatever. I want to first ask you about your video that you have called The Two Halves of the Creative Journey. You know, I've got a master's degree in clinical psychology and... I really, really enjoyed this video quite a lot, and I was wondering if you could kind of just unpack the video a little bit for our listeners. Yeah, so I basically took uh, Jung's idea of the two halves of life and kind of unpacked it a little bit. So he, he had this, I mean, very, very broadly speaking, he had this idea of splitting life into a morning and an afternoon and uh, it being you know cut in the middle by this noon point. And he suggests that the job of the first half of life is to construct a self. So you're trying to work out who you are, uh, what you care about, uh, what your politics are, what you believe about the world and how it works, uh, what sort of job you want, what sort of car you want to drive, what sort of partner you want to have, what sort of house you want, like all those kind of things. You're trying to build something that includes identity, but also how you believe the world should, should operate. And then he suggests that at some point in your life, you're going to hit a crisis. And that crisis is going to be so difficult to deal with that all the stuff that you've constructed in that first half of life is not going to be able to answer this crisis point that you're facing now. And at that point, you have a choice. Either you can retreat back to that first half and you can reinforce the box you built and fight the world off because you cannot conceive of having to start building your ideas again you can't you've, you've worked so hard to construct this stuff you can't start all over and let everything go that you spent so much time on and unfortunately that often leads to to bitter older people because because they're constantly trying to deny that, that the way that the thing that they built doesn't really work and so they're just trying to keep the world away and keep difficulties away even from themselves and their own psyche or he says the invitation is to move through to the second half of life, where you let the ideas that you've, you've so aggressively constructed in the first half start to fall apart and go, okay, I, I'm admitting my priorities were off. I'm admitting that, that everything I think about myself, a lot of it's wrong and I haven't really understood. All the think, ways I think the world should work, I had some very naive ideas and you start to let the stuff go. And you move through to the second half of life where you have uh, a, a more generous spirit and less frantic need to define or everything and and a greater openness and and these people are our village elders right they're the ones we go to for advice because they have that second half of life view of things so that's Jung's idea um, but I think that applies to the creative journey too because the first half of our creative journey we're constructing trying to work out what camera should I buy, what technique should I use, what colors should I use in my images, uh, what focal length, what aperture, all this stuff, you know, it's techniques and it's gear and it's stuff we're building, which by the way, is all good. It's all good stuff. You have to do it because you learn so much in doing it. There's nothing wrong with it. It's not less than absolutely go wild. But then at some point, 
you're going to like I did uh, in product photography you know when I started in photography I thought it would be a dream one day if I could be sitting in an office somewhere as like the head of photography for a company and that's where I was in 2016 I was the head of photography for, for a big company that was going to float themselves on the stock exchange that's how well they were doing and I was looking out the window going I don't care about anything that I'm doing and I don't like my cameras anymore I, I got what I wanted and I had a lot of techniques and that was my crisis point going, but why if I built all these photography techniques and I got what I wanted, aren't I happy with this? And that was that invitation to go, okay, well, everything you built up until now, perhaps you need to start to let some of that go and move through to a second half, a greater openness where you find more meaning. And so I started to do things like really digging on portraiture and uh, photograph things that mattered to me or go out to the street and, and respond to photography a lot more intuitively and not make it about success but make it about the joy of making things as well so that's kind of where it relates and I, I, the only thing I'd add to that on that video is I think a lot of people went well I mean you know a lot of people said you're way too young to have hit your midpoint I'm like okay well <laughs> it doesn't it doesn't uh, the, the point isn't that there's a midpoint I think the point is is that that cycle happens over and over and over again in some ways, I feel like with the photography I'm doing now, it needs to reach another noon. It needs another crisis because I can feel it stagnating. So I can feel mm. that coming. The, the filmmaking, I feel, is in the second half. The writing I'm doing is in the second half. So I think these things kind of cycle through and you're at different places with different things. But when you understand that basic construct, deconstruct, reconstruct kind of model, it applies to a lot of stuff. Yeah, no, I mean, it's a beautiful analogy. You know, you've got... I, you know, what I loved about the idea of morning versus afternoon um, as an analogy for our creative journey is that you, in your video, you accurately described what a lot of us go through as photographers. You know, the mornings being all about experimentation and I got to buy all these lenses and cameras and figure them out and I've got to buy all these post-processing tutorials and, you know, follow these people on YouTube and try to copy what they're doing and things like that. And then, you know, you slowly discover what your preferences are and, you know, what you like and don't like and what you're good at and what you're not good at. But I think, you know, most importantly, uh, what I liked about the analogy and about your video is that it, it wasn't prescriptive. Um, and, and instead, it gave it gives photographers permission to, to just try new things without judgment. You know, it's okay to be to fail at what you're doing. It's okay. You know, yeah, you might have been the most badass portrait photographer on earth but maybe you're not very good at landscape <laughs> right uh, or vice versa and so i'm just curious for you why do you see this as an important part of the creative process the biggest thing for me in making that video and i had this in mind when i made it was i i wanted people to know that when they hit that crisis point it's not the end it's actually a beginning like that was the biggest thing for me because i think every time i've hit those crisis points in my life it's painful, right? It's difficult, it's, it's challenging. You wonder if you've been completely wasting your time. But the more I journey on, I, I look back at all of those crisis points and realize they were actually an invitation to a new stage and something that, that is now more meaningful and is deeper and I'm so glad for every single one of them. I'm not glad they were painful or difficult, right. and they always are. I'm just glad that I pushed myself to go through and that there was something better on the other side. And, and it was really, I, I know too many photographers who put the cameras away because they hit that point when, what is the point? Like, I'm, I've, I've, I'm, I've got all this gear and I've got all these techniques and I, I hate my own work, I don't care anymore. If you stick with that, 
and start to ask yourself some really tough, honest questions. There's a better thing on the other side. And, and I really wanted people to, to realize that what feels like an end is actually a beginning, if you stick with it. Um, and hopefully rescue people from bailing, because I think too many people do bail at that point. Or retreat back into that first half and go, oh, it's just because I haven't got the 51.2. Do you know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> just retreat back and buy more stuff because you think that's the answer. It's not. And you know it by now. It's time to let it go and move through to that, to that second half. Yes, it's funny. When I created this podcast in 2017, I sat down and made a list of about 100 photographers that I wanted to have on the show. And now I look back at that first 100 and at least half those people either don't photograph anymore mm -hmm. or they've completely moved on to doing something else entirely. Yeah. And a very core number of them have stuck to it. And it's been interesting, too, to see how some of them have embraced what you're talking about, like oh, maybe I should take my work in a different direction. And they've really rolled with that and kind of leaned into it. And I'm sure for one to three or four years, that was kind of painful. And I've gone through that at least once. And it's, it's scary. And I almost quit too. But you come out the other side and you're like this fresh, new, creative person that has this whole new world in front of you that is exciting and interesting. Yeah. Well, so another thing I really liked about uh, this analogy taking the midday sun moment of our journey being marked by like an internal crisis. Cause I, I, I've felt that before myself and it's usually what I've, what you've kind of highlighted in your video is that it, we're asking ourselves lots of questions about our work. It's boring or it's just, I haven't done anything new <laughs> like over the last three or four years, it's all looking the same or we're looking at ourselves and we're just not that excited about who we are as a person anymore. Or, or maybe the journey itself. Um, why is this moment of questioning so crucial and how can we harness it to improve ourselves? I think the questions that pop up are you kind of admitting to yourself that what you're doing is not enough and that you're putting, you're putting your priorities out of order. At the, at, like a classic example is I think so many people chasing affirmation or fame on social media and thinking that if you get to a particular number you're going to be truly happy because you're going to be validated and I think a lot of people who do achieve the numbers that they think they want will get there and go this means nothing it means absolutely nothing I, I still my work is no better I just I just fooled a bunch of beginners online who cares that doesn't make me a good photographer it doesn't make <laughs> me anything um, I think the questions like signify that we are not uh, putting putting first things first, and so I think it, it's it's at that point where you have to start to sit down and work out what you really want. And and it's crazy how few of us actually ask ourselves that question properly. We 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 kind of just start chasing something, and it might be I want a lot of money, or I want people to think I'm brilliant, but th but those aren't really going to sustain you meaningfully. And you have to go deeper than that and go, hang on a minute, what is it? What is it I'm actually after with this camera? What do, I, what do I want to say with this thing? Uh, what, what legacy do I want to leave behind? Um, those kind of questions are important. And I reckon it's all self-awareness stuff from that point. That's going to get you through it. And, and uh, emotional intelligence. Why do I feel what I feel? Not just I have an emotion or I have a feeling about this and it's not good. What is it really telling you? 
And, and you'll have to dig through a few things because at the start you'll start, most people start blaming other things for their feelings. So, yeah, but I've right. tried so hard and the internet's not giving me this and the, it's not the internet's fault. Don't worry about it. Yeah, but I've got this camera and it's not doing this for, no, it's not the camera's fault. Stop it. Like it's, it, that you have to settle it down so that it comes back to you. Hang on, what is it in me? What am I actually angry at? Okay, I'm annoyed that actually I'm, I'm chasing the wrong thing and, and, it's, and not even that is working for me. So then I think it's, a, it, it's time to journal. It's time to sit in the morning and start writing and reading back what you're writing and working out what's coming out when you just write intuitively. It's time to uh, take, a, take a friend for coffee and say, I'm really struggling. I don't really know what I'm doing with this anymore. What do you see in what I'm doing? Like, like this is what I think I want. Does that sound right? Uh, get, get hold of your mentor. Go for counseling. Jeez. I mean, like people go, like, oh, you can't go to therapy for your photography. Yes, of course you can. It's all, all, all that is, is is going and sitting and paying somebody for an hour to say, listen, I want to talk about some stuff. Because no good therapist will tell you what to do. The whole point is that they create a space for you to go and sit there and talk yourself to a solution. So if yeah. that's what it takes, because you, you don't have access to somebody, do that. Um, like, take it seriously. Whatever you can do to get self-awareness to work out where you put your priorities out of order and what you really, really care about. And then start to reprioritize and go, okay, for the second half, I'm going to give myself a more meaningful target than I want to be super popular for my images. It's actually that I want to say something important and popularity might be a second in the distance in the back. And actually, maybe I'll stand more of a chance of getting that second if I put the first first. But it's got to be first things first. So you talked about when you were sitting in your office as a you know as the director of photography um, and you kind of had that moment where you're like, I don't like where I'm at, what were some of those questions that you started to ask yourself and what were some of the conclusions that you arrived at for your journey? When it comes to photography, it was, I mean, I, I, I st let me be clear because I think it's fair to say that I've always considered it a privilege to make money with a camera in hand. So even though I was shooting sofas and dining sets and stuff I couldn't care about, I'm selling, I'm selling furniture to rich people that was my job I mean it's not very fulfilling as a as, as a as a life mission or anything like that but I've, I always consider it a privilege that I could have that position and, and pay the bills with my camera even if the work wasn't very creative mm -hmm. but I think what I realized is that I needed either to to change tack or I needed to start doing my own work on the side because that would be the more meaningful work that would actually sustain me so I started asking myself what do I want to talk about with my images so it came back to for me it came back to psychology and my fascination with people and my years as a pastor so uh, I did a couple of things to try to shake stuff up I took a trip back to um, southern Africa to Namibia I did a portrait project with the Himba tribe over there um, because I, I wanted to explore hang on a minute who are my heroes okay well I I love Joey L's work I love Steve McCurry's work so maybe if I go to a part of the world which I grew up in I spent 30 years in Africa and I go and I try and photograph people and, and sort of show who they are as human beings. Maybe that will teach me something. And it did, but it almost kind of taught me that's not necessarily good enough. I'm taking serviceable images of really interesting people, but it's not really digging deep enough for me. And so I went back in the same year uh, to South Africa and I took three very simple portraits of uh, three mentors of mine who stood in the gap for me where in the absence of a father in my own life and helped me in my teens and 20s kind of grow into a man. And those connected. That was like, ah, 
compared to you know taking photographs of sofas like <laughs> taking photographs of three men who mean a great deal to me and being able to make a film about what they meant to me and how we should offer to mentor others because of how meaningful that is I'm like ah here we go this is more that second half of life stuff this means something this means something to me this means something to other people this is about this is about life and depth and and our responsibility to each other and how we get a handle on our lives and something clicked in that and I went haha okay so whether I keep doing this day job or not I need to try even if it's on the side of the day job or I manage to make this the thing that pays the bills it needs to all get turned in this direction and by the way I could do that work with the simplest camera setup I did not need anything fancy I was shooting on a 50mm at 2.8 most cameras I don't need I don't need a lot of money to do that and I was I had one speed light I don't need money to do that it's got nothing to do with gear or techniques it was dirt simple the way I shot those it was all to do with building more meaning into the message of it and that was mm -hmm. how I kind of started to redirect I love that yeah it's interesting as you were talking I was reminded of Erickson's stages of development I don't know if you learned about that yes, when you're yeah. going through school but like it's very much in line with what we're talking about in terms of like in the second half of your life you start to make these realizations that you want your life to have a lasting impact beyond what you're experiencing and I think that to your point like selling sofas to rich people like yeah it's a nice way to make a living or whatever but it's probably not what you want to be known for like Sean Tucker on his on your gravestone mm -hmm. sold lots of sofas with his camera yeah. you know like exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. and you know I don't know I think about myself in, in terms of my own work it's like I've I've been kind of getting into those conversations with myself more and more lately like Matt Payne, he took some beautiful landscape pictures of Colorado. Like, I want it to be a little bit more than that. And mm. I don't know, maybe for some people that's enough. But it seems like it, there's nothing wrong with wanting more out of your journey. So can I ask you then, so where do you, where do you feel you're at on that journey? Man, I'm like right in that, um, that's, that sun's right overhead, buddy. <laughs> like, right, right, right. Yeah, but I've been asking myself those questions a lot over the last three or four years. I've actually it's kind of amazing uh just a week ago i quit my job so oh, wow. like i'm like transitioning into full-time photography ironically away from like a 20 plus year career in nonprofits. so that part of my life had tremendous amount of meaning but i felt like i kind of took it as far as i could and to some degree i felt like i was getting a little bit jaded and just burnt out on helping people <laughs> for lack of a better way of saying it so i'm excited to be able to focus more of my efforts and my energies and my creative passions on whatever that other side looks like mm. and i don't know yet but it's i can taste it and i'm not scared by it actually it's the hard part was getting to a point where i could actually address it mm. that's cool yeah that's why your your video really resonated with me because I'm like, oh, I see a lot of myself in this one. <laughs> I, c I could tell a lot about people with which videos they do resonate with. I'm like, oh, I know, I know where you're at. <laughs> yeah, right, <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. yeah, I'm curious if you could talk a little bit about how c how can photographers apply this idea of thinking about our lives in two halves, not only to sustain our interest in the creative process, but also perhaps to elevate it. I mean, maybe it's just about uh, pacing yourself, you know, knowing that that's what that Jung's idea did for me uh, was 
was knowing the rough trajectory of how these things usually turn out with human beings and then not being so hard on myself. I, I make the point in the video and say that just because you know about this now doesn't mean you need to rush through that first half to get to the second half because you think it's better. There's no better. Mm -hmm. It's just about where you're at. And, and, and you have to do the first half well. That's the whole point because you learn so much in that first half and construct so much. It's where you get all your techniques and skills from. I still have those logged away in the back of my memory. And I'm grateful I do because some days I need to pull those out. Like, mm -hmm. don't rush that stage. Enjoy it. Milk it for everything that it is. But just know that things will start to transition. And then when you see the signpost for that crisis, don't panic. That should happen. It should happen. It's how these things work. So, you know, you're going to struggle. I mean, because we all do. But, but almost welcome it. Almost welcome it. Like, that's that sign that I'm moving through to the next good part. And just stay open with it. And then again, don't. Don't rush that. You don't have to come up with a solution to the crisis straight away. You just have to know that it's there and start asking yourself those tough questions. And that crisis isn't a day and then the next day you're on to the second half. You work through that crisis, as you know, as I know, you work through that for years sometimes. You know, right. slowly processing and slowly coming out of it because it's a, it's a, it's a ton of self-work and conversations with others and trying new things and failing until you start to move through that second half. Um, so I really think it's just... Once you know about that rough roadmap, you can kind of anticipate, use each stage well, embrace each stage well. Don't rush anything and be kinder to yourself as you move through. Yeah, I think what's hard about it for a lot of people is like, in some ways, there's a part of you that kind of dies a little bit. Although you, you, you've put so much work into all of this stuff and then you hit this zenith where you feel like you kind of got it all, you know, you, you don't have it all figured out, but you feel like you got it all figured out. And then yeah. it's like there's nothing more, so, but it requires you to, to evolve and to transform a little bit. Well, it's ego death, isn't it? It's like right. <laughs> it's it's everything we've constructed, and like oh man, alive. If we don't know what's happening, we will fight like crazy to protect that. I mean, that's what that's what the ego does. Is it it will not let go of identity. Like it will fight tooth and nail. But knowing that it's coming along and what it actually is and means, maybe you can be a little bit more gracious with it and let some of that go because it's not useful anymore. It's not really what you want. And you're allowed to change. You're allowed to reprioritize and, and, and shift things around. I mean, and not to make it overly spiritual, but like my church back, I mean, that's a lot of any spirituality around the world. There's a death and resurrection model, right? And, and, and you know, lots of things speak about dying to yourself, like the you, you build this thing, there should be a point where you put it to death and bring it back to life again because because in that process there's also a transformation and something better comes out of it. It's a, it's a motif shot through every spirituality, every philosophy that I can think of in some in some way. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's. I think it's how things work. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, or you could just, you know, leave your wife and buy a, buy a Porsche. Or <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> well, I mean, Jung, Jung coined the midlife crisis phrase, didn't he? I mean, it's like... It's, there's no mystery about where it comes from, yeah. Apparently, if you just you know, buy a fancier car and, and, and shack up with your secretary, it solves everything, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, no, I'm pretty sure that's not how that works, but it's, no. uh, it's amazing well, how many people do that. <laughs> I mean, that's that retreating to the first half, isn't it? It's going, like, it's going back, going, I'm too scared to change myself, so let me just run back to the first half and rearrange some of the details and pretend that fixes anything at all. It doesn't, because what's actually being asked to change is you, not the details of your life. So that middle, that stereotypical midlife crisis is, I think, people really misunderstanding what's going on, 
and thinking they can just shuffle some stuff around and not have to change. But it, it'll chase you. It's not going to let you go. That's right, especially if you make a really terrible choice. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Well, just one, one last comment about that video. I loved, and we've talked a little bit about it already, but I love that you acknowledge the fact that gear isn't going to make our photography better. And more importantly, I, I thought it was really cool that you talked about the fact that simplification often will lead to better, more meaningful work. And I was wondering if you could just maybe elaborate on that particular piece of simplification a little bit more for yourself. Yeah, I mean, I think like, like anyone at the beginning of their photography journey, I was one of those who spent money on camera gear that I didn't have because I thought it would make me a good photographer. And the, the, the lesson I learned was, is you can still take terrible photographs on great gear. And I think <laughs> yes, that's really... <laughs> I think it's really important to realize, like, it's not going to take good photographs for you. Um, it's, it's, in fact, it might highlight your, your, your technical issues because there's nowhere to hide if you've got massive megapixels and, and a great lens again. Like, what, you produce that with that? Like, it, it, it actually doesn't help you at the end of the day. Um, and these days, I run around with a very small kit for almost everything. Everything I shoot out and about, everything you'll see on my Instagram is on the little pocket Ricoh GR camera. Um, and when I travel, I usually just take a Sony A7C. I've got two lenses that I like: the Zeiss 55, which is a little guy, uh, 1.8, and, a, and, a, and a, the Sony 35 1.8, which are both like you know medium range lenses. It's not these fancy 1.2s or everything else. That's most of what I use for most of what I do. And I, I just learned that simplifying things down and making it about the subject or the message of what you're trying to say or taking yourself somewhere and telling an interesting story is going to yield better pictures than, than shooting the same stuff you always shoot but getting a super fancy lens. Because, I mean, for example, I guess the, the best example in my own journey was coming out of that portrait photography, not the, the, the product photography space. You know, I would be shooting in a studio that I'd set up with seven or eight lights for a product, you know? In a, in, a, in a very fancy kind of Infinity Co. sweep that we put up and I'd, I'd hung like a huge rig overhead that had four lights coming through a scrim and then a bunch of other softboxes. Like I'd really gone to town with this thing. Then I started shooting portraits. I'm like, well, that's what I do. I mean, how, how many lights can I get in this room? And like this person, <laughs> I was using, you know, four or five lights and hair lights and rim lights and, and, you know, reflectors and gels on things. And I just, I very quickly realized like, this does not take a better portrait. It just, it actually confuses the issue for me personally. And then I was, when I was living in London, I used to go and uh, wander through the, the National Gallery. And I really connected to Rembrandt's portraits, the paintings. And going through that room, I was like, what is it about these that I cannot stop looking at that really suck me in? And then I thought, let's look at what lighting he's using. And of course I'm like, well, you idiot, he doesn't have lights. So all he's got is a window. He's only right. got one light source. He can't have more than that because he can't have multiple lights. So everything you're looking at is one light. And it's just, it's, it's nicely shaped. The shadows make the face more interesting because there's more shape when you actually allow the shadow to fall dark, which right. creates more mood, which creates more drama. So when I went back to South Africa to do those portraits with those mentors, I had like a whole mood board set up of photography and paintings. And I, I had decided very early on, I'm gonna go with one light and uh, just a very simple modifier and a 50mm lens, I'm gonna shoot 2.8. I'm not gonna go super shallow, 1.2 or something ridiculous, I'm gonna go 2.8. So I could have done that. I mean, what, like adding that up, what, full frame camera, you could probably pick up a second hand A7 III for like a grand or something. You could get like a 50mm 1.8 for peanuts because they're small plastic things. 
a speed light and an umbrella. I mean, grief, you, 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 you're done. I mean, what, like 1200 bucks or something like that? That's everything right. I needed to shoot those portraits that I could have done anywhere in the world for anybody. It was the simplest, simplest setup I could have used. And, and the feedback I got from those shots were these are the best portraits you've taken. And it was a great reminder of like my, my early you know, quest for the best uh, gear and glass and sensors I could possibly get is really, really not the point. No one's going to care. In fact, no one really knows what you're shooting on. Or, 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 or Everyone just loves a beautiful image. They don't care how you took it. Yep. Um, and, and that really drove home to me. Like just simplify it down. Travel light. Don't fill a backpack with massive heavy stuff. Travel light. Travel simply. Know what you're doing and then take something that's simple and beautiful. And I've stuck by that since. Well, not only that, but, you know, the less lenses, the less options you have, you know, the more simple your setup is, the more limitations you're placing on yourself, which actually fosters creativity because you're creating limitations, which then forces you to think, okay, I'm not going to, I don't have that 70 to 200, so I can't get further away from my subject. So I have to get a little bit more creative on how I capture this image and, Oftentimes that leads to a better result. Yeah, I mean, plus it gives you consistency, right? So I, I shoot, every portrait I shoot for the last four or five years, and I'll probably stick to it for a long, long time, is 50 mil. It's just, it's just one lens for every portrait I take. And that gives a consistency to the look of my work, which I like. And it's a focal length that I really like for portraits. I don't want to be messing around with that too much. I, I like that look. So I can keep it super simple, which is great. I love it. All right, well, <clears throat> shifting gears a little bit, Sean here. How can focusing on what we want to say with our work lead to more satisfaction, better end results, um, as opposed to what's become so popular, such as chasing likes, wanting followers, fame, fortune? <laughs> I, mean, I, I talk about this a little bit uh, in the book I wrote. Um, and the way I talk about it there is I mean, the book's called The Meaning in the Making, so obviously it's trying to work out how to put more meaning into the things that we make. And I, I think I say there that, that, believe me, there is no amount of money or, or attention on your work that is actually going to satisfy you. It's a target you're never going to be satisfied with. And it's not, even if you, even if you get a lot of it, and, and, and I can say this to an extent, because I have, I have some sort of following online. And I think if I told myself I would have had this many people caring about what I did, I would have thought, oh, well, I'll definitely be happy when I get that. <laughs> right. But, I, but it's not. When you get here, you realize it doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. It's nice to have, but it's, it's, it doesn't give you the meaning in your work that you want. Uh, the number certainly doesn't. The individual stories definitely do, but the number, the volume definitely doesn't do that for you at all. And I, I share a quote in the book by, um, He's actually, a, he's actually a pastor in America, so the, the quote is slightly spiritual in nature, but you get the, you'll get the point. It's a guy named Frederick Beekner, and he says that the place God calls you to is the place where your deep joy and the world's deep hunger meet. So it's this idea that if I can find that thing that brings me joy, which in my case is, are things like you know, photography and filmmaking and communicating and writing, those things really bring me joy to do. And if you don't know what those things are, ask yourself, what are the things you do that give you back energy instead of rob you of it? What are the <laughs> things you do that you, you think about before you go to sleep at night? What are the things you do when you do them, you lose track of time? Those things are probably your deep joys. And then how do you, the second half of that quote, 
where the world's deep hunger and your deep joy meet. So how do you point those deep joys at a place where you feel like the world is hungry? And for me, that was, I have, uh, because of uh, family experiences and also um, uh, with my ex-wife and, and other relationships I've had, I've had a lot to do with people who really battle with anxiety and depression. And um, I care deeply about trying to, in my tiny way, make a dent in that for people. Um, and so everything that I do is trying to take, uh, and, and this was true studying psychology, it was true when I worked in the church, and it's now true uh, with a photography and creativity channel and writing a book and all the rest of it. I'm trying to, in some way, help people to get a handle on the fact that life is difficult, that you don't have to put so much pressure on yourself, you can relax, you can enjoy this, you can admit your mistakes, it's okay. I mean, I mean, my photography channel is, is, and I think, you know, this is no real secret, is, is absolutely a Trojan horse to talk about more important things. And, <laughs> and that's, and I know that, and that's, that's on purpose, right? Yeah. And so, so there's a big part of uh, what I do now that is, is saturated with meaning for me. I, I, I honestly don't care what that number is on my YouTube channel. I care a bit because it helps me make a living, but I, I don't care in the same way that I used to. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, I don't care uh, how much money I make because I have a camera in hand. It would be nice to pay the bills, but that's, that's it for me. I'm not trying to be super financially aggressive about anything. But when I get an email from somebody, which I do, I get, I get fairly regularly. I mean, I, I had a guy probably about nine or ten months ago send me an email the, the, the strap line of the email was you saved my life which obviously is like I'm not, I'm, and this isn't a story about me being a hero because I'm definitely not but he'd, he'd started he'd, he basically said like he just had enough he couldn't cope with his life anymore he'd had an injury he wasn't able to recover and he just wasn't he didn't know what to do about it and so he he decided it was too much and he'd gone to the Lake District he was going to climb a mountain with a bottle of pills bottle of Jack Daniels and that was it and he started listening to my audiobook, uh, and he listened to a chapter or two three four walking around got to the top of the hill, he thought, I'll listen to a couple more, four, five, six, seven chapters in, eight, nine, ten, and by the time he got to the end of the book, he was back at the car, and he said, I got back in the car, and I drove home to my wife, and mm -hmm. that's not to say, like, I, I did anything incredible, because I didn't, I just, I just wrote a, you some argue, narcissistic book and put it out there, you know what I mean, like, that's, <laughs> that's all I did, is I made something I believed in and shared it with the world, but when somebody comes back to me with a story like that, that fills me up for, for a year. It's like, oh, something I did made somebody go, maybe I can do it for another day. And when he sent me that email, he said, nothing is solved. You know, the problems are still there. I'm still battling. But thank you for at least helping, helping me. Again, I didn't do it for him. Helping me on my own put my life in a little bit more perspective and choose to keep going a bit more. That is so much meaning me yeah I mean that's that's everything that's so much more important than than does does the internet at large think my my latest photograph is great on Instagram it just it just doesn't matter as much so I've found over the years a way to take my deep joy and point it at the world's deep hunger and and that brings me a lot of meaning so the question I suppose for you or anybody is like how do you how do you do that mm -hmm. you don't maybe you don't want to preach with your work and I, I don't suggest everyone should it's noxious sometimes but it's how do you how do you take what you love to do and make it about more than yourself yeah and i think to your point it doesn't necessarily have to be you said you're pointing your work at a 
something that needs as hunger it doesn't necessarily have to be like a laser focused target i mean you can my my podcast is kind of fills that void for me in terms of like i get to have these really great conversations with really intelligent people who have different ways of seeing the world and different approaches to creativity and thinking and philosophy and i get to share that with my audience and then every once in a while someone will write to me and say hey i really enjoyed that conversation with so and so it's really helped me with x y and z and like that that that's enough for me you know so like i don't care that we don't have sony and nikon and fujifilm i mean to your point it'd be nice like hey mm-hmm. if you guys want to sponsor the podcast that'd be cool but <laughs> it's been six years now i don't think it's gonna happen but i get much more joy out of just getting those messages back and hearing back from people you know so i think that's a great way of thinking about it in terms of what are you good at? What fills you with joy? And then how can you kind of direct that towards something to make a difference in other people's lives mm-hmm. or, yeah. or the, or planet earth, or maybe you love elephants. I mean, whatever it is, right? Like yeah. your, whatever your passion is. And like you say, it can be more general, right? I mean, what, what you're doing as a landscape photographer is, is uh, showing us the natural world. I mean, if you've seen Sebastian Salgado's Genesis project, you're reminding us, of our environment, of, of the beauty of the natural world. You, you might be also reminding people to get out into it every now and again because it's good for their mental health or right. about our responsibility to care for that natural environment. The more you dig in on those kind of things, I think that's where you'll find your the meaning in your work beyond uh, in, Instagram gave me a thousand likes for this one, I nailed it. Do you know what I mean? Like that's totally. <laughs> there's much more depth to that first one. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Well, I wanted to talk to you about the concept of patience um one thing that i've noticed in a lot of photographers is that they're in this rush to make it to the top whatever that means i think people have this built-up idea of what success looks like and i think sometimes it's not sometimes i think almost all the time it's (laughs) ill-informed they they see someone's really awesome stuff on instagram they just assume that person's life is incredible it's probably not um, can can you talk about the importance of patience and giving ourselves time to improve as creatives? Yeah, because I, I struggle with it. Uh, I, mean, <laughs> I, 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 I am quite an impatient person, I think. Uh, and I'm, I am learning. Oh, gosh, I hope I'm learning. Um, I, do, I catch myself on this one often. Like I, 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 uh, I always want to be further along than I am. And I'm not sure what that's about, but I have learned that all that happens when you do that to yourself and you push, 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 is you hurt yourself. That's all that happens. You don't really move that much faster, I don't think. Um, in fact, I think if you really push, you'll burn yourself out and you'll really slow yourself down. Mm-hmm. So patience is like just a, it's just like a gift to yourself. It's kindness and it's saying you can only do what you can do today. And that, that, that is something I am learning slowly is, is to be able to switch off at a particular hour of the day and go, that's what you could do today. Yes, you could work into the night, but are you really going to get a lot more done or are you going to have to sleep tomorrow afternoon because you're wasted? Like, actually, that's enough for today. Like, that's enough for now. You, you've, you've done a good day's work. Stop. Those kind of things, I think, I've, I've, I've learned slowly and that things will unfold. Like, you know, I almost feel like the amount of, if you, if you put in 100% more effort than what you're doing already, it's going to make you maybe go 5% faster. It, it's not an even trade. 
So all this extra blood, sweat and tears doesn't really move the needle as fast as you want. So if you want to go far, go steadily, like take it, take yep. it a day at a time, do what you can do in a day and protect your reserves of energy and of motivation and all those kind of things. And I think that kind of be kind to yourself. That's how you last in the long run, I reckon. Yeah, that, that resonates a lot for me. It's, it's funny, I've been doing a lot of introspection this week because of quitting my job and Literally, it's been a goal of mine that's a decade in the making, right? And so this mm. week has been like incredibly poignant for me in terms of just recognizing all of the hard work that I've done to get to this point. But it's funny, I'm in this Discord channel with a bunch of other landscape photographers, and there's some younger photographers in there too. And probably once a month it comes up again. I've been doing photography for a year now, and I want to teach workshops, and I want to make it big. And I'm like, man, you whoa, like pump the brakes, you know? I, and I don't want to sound like a gatekeeper. I don't want to like crush mm -hmm. your dreams or anything like that, but like, it's okay for it to take a while for you to grow into this and to, to give yourself time to develop all of the skills that are necessary in, in like making it in photography, making it in photography, quote unquote, mm -hmm. whatever that means. It's way more than about photography, like in, depending on what you, what direction you take it, right? Like someone like you need to develop skills in understanding psychology and philosophy and you need to have developed skills in like storytelling and filmmaking and probably uh video editing and like those are skills that you probably can't develop in a year you know what i mean so i think it's a it's really important i think if you want to make this something that's going to be a part of your life long term to take it slowly and really build upon a strong foundation. And I'm curious what your thoughts are on that. I, I, I agree. And I, I think it's, uh, it's, it's almost like you don't want to go too fast because the minute you start to nail down what you're doing, if you get there too early, you don't have as much to say and you could damage your reputation. So like a good example of that for me at the moment, it's nothing to do with photography. So I, like I said, I, I, my degree was in psychology at university, but I didn't come out and become a psychologist. You know, I went and did a bunch of other stuff. I worked for the church and now I'm a photographer. But just recently I've taken myself back to studying to become a licensed therapist in this country. So ah. I've done one year now and, you know, I've got three more years to go. And again, I'm not in a rush now because I've learned. I'm not trying to be a therapist in the next three or four years. But in my head I'm going, in my 50s I'll have a lot more credibility in that role because I've got a lot more life experience and I'll have a lot more to say uh, or not say or, or, or know how to shut up, you know, those kind of things. I'll have a lot more wisdom, not just knowledge, right? And so I'm trying to play the long game with certain things that really matter to me now instead of trying to rush in and get a thing straight away. And I think photographers often make that mistake, like, oh, to, to get successful on something, I've got to get out there, I've got to have a workshop, I've got to have my presets and my prints and whatever. I mean, it's almost like pick your moment to put yourself out there, right? And I would suggest hold off for as long as possible to really build your skill set so that when you do say, hey, I want to do a workshop, it's because people already think your work is great, not just because you're a beginner trying to, to, to muscle your way into the market. Because, you know, that reputation will stay out there forever about how good you really are at what you do. And if you're a beginner, you're probably not good enough to be running workshops yet, right? You have to give that five or ten years before you've really got something to say that is not just a repackage of what you've heard from everywhere else it's your material it's your right. hard-earned experience you know that's patience yeah 
I had to laugh about what you said about being credible as a therapist in your 50s because I came out with my master's degree when I was 24, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I was counseling people that were heroin addicts who were in their like 40s and 50s and they looked at me like, kid, you don't know anything about yeah. life yet, you know? And it's true, like, I didn't. Fortunately, I didn't try to come across as some kind of expert that I could fix their lives, but at the same time, I definitely lacked credibility, and I think I did learn a little bit from my early career as a mental health professional that, like, sometimes it's okay to just, it's okay to say, I don't know the answer to this, and I'm gonna, like, I need to do more homework and research. Always good to say, I don't know, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, that was a huge lesson for me to say. I remember my first really big job I got, I think I was 26, 27. And when you're in school, you're pressured to, you have to know the answer to something, right? It's just indoctrinated in us when we go through school. And when you get to the workplace, it's not really that great of a skill set to say you know everything, right? Because mm -hmm. you probably don't. And I remember I had a boss who told me, he sat me down and he was like, you're a knower. You come across like you know everything, but you really don't know anything yet. And what I want to encourage you to do is to become a learner and ask questions instead of answering the question. And that had a huge impact on my development as a, as a leader and as a professional and later, like everything in life. And I think it applies to photography too. You think you know a lot, I mean, I remember 2013, I got an Nikon D800 and I had the Trinity and I was badass. I had all F2.8 lenses and I knew everything. Oh, and I look back and I didn't, I know, I knew nothing. You know, it's, yeah. it's just, yeah. it's so funny. We do that to ourselves. It's like that, it's like that Dunning-Kruger effect, isn't it? It's like, it is. You, know, you, you don't, you, you think you know everything and, until you know how much you don't know. And when that day hits, it's a hard, hard lesson to go like, wow, I need to shut up. <laughs> and, but that's the exciting time because then you really start to learn because you're not trying to pretend you know everything now. You become a sponge by choice. You're like, I'll take in anything because I know how much I don't know now. You know? Yeah, anything. <laughs> yeah. Even, you know, even from people that have been doing photography for like six months, I bet they can still teach me something. Absolutely. You know? All right, Sean, well, uh, you've got another video that is all about creative ruts. And this all one also resonated a lot with me because this is something that happens... Not only happens to me all the time, but I think it happens a lot to people, especially people who see themselves more as hobbyists, who maybe only get out and shoot maybe four or five times a year. And the, the video you put out is called Why You Get Your Best Ideas in the Shower, which is genius, by the way. Uh, can you speak about the importance of being more deliberate about creating mental space and forcing ourselves into the present? Yeah, so again, I unpack this more in the book as well, but I mean, the, the way I talk about it in the book is, is I think that, just a theory, uh, that our subconscious mind is a lot more creative than our conscious mind. And I think what often happens, and you can prove this to yourself, because um, if you have a problem you need to solve, we've all had this experience where we sit there and we're trying to think the problem through, but, but what we're doing really is we're trying to force thoughts through that same well-worn channel expecting a different result. I mean, we, even, we even call it racking our brains, which is a medieval torture device, you know. That's, that's what the process is. And, and at some point we just get exasperated with ourselves and give up. And we go for a walk. And we're not thinking about the problem somewhere on that walk. We're just enjoying the walk and then suddenly the solution's there for you. And I think that's because when you quiet that conscious mind down and you let your subconscious mind go to work, 
it often will generate more interesting things. And that's why I think you get your best ideas in the shower because it's the one time of your day when you are alone, probably, uh, and you are just enjoying the sensation of the water. There's no screen in front of your face. You're not taking in videos or taking in a book or, or on a website. or You're just quiet and you're just alone. So what I talk about in, in the book is how do we then, if we know that's true about our, our psyches, how do we more often, as a habit, create that empty, generative mental space? And so... For me, it's taking a walk every day. I try every day to take an hour-long walk if I can fit it in. And that isn't so I can get an idea. And this is important to say. And that's why I said it's got to be agendaless, this practice. You can't go and say, oh, I'm going to go on a walk because I need a solution to a problem I've got. Because you'll still be in that, that conscious mind. You'll be you know, a kilometer and going, have I got the idea yet? No, I haven't. I'll keep walking. Is it there yet? No, it's not there yet. You're not going to get it. You're not, you're not quieting that, that mind down. So it's... Going for a walk every day is a practice so that your, your subconscious constantly has chance to go to work and generate new ideas and new solutions to problems and more inspiration. And that for me as a practice is, is a great way to stay inspired. And I'll often come back from a walk and quickly jot down an idea that I had on the walk. That's where they pop up. So if you make those sorts of things or whatever works for you a practice, you, you give yourself more opportunity to stay full of ideas and, and inspiration. Um, the other thing we do is, is I, I do with a friend of mine is we run retreats every year uh, and now we're doing two a year where people go away for an entire week because this is a practice I used to try and put into my own life is go away for two or three days or an amount of time with nothing to do but just to be maybe I read a book have a coffee go for a drive but no, no agenda to my time there I'm not trying to make a video I'm not trying to come up with ideas I'm just taking space and I'd often come back with a notebook full of ideas that's where the book came from was being stuck mm. in a cabin in Iceland um, so how do you take walks, take retreats, make that space for yourself so you can get that, that subconscious mind to allow it to go to work and, and that empty generative mental space can, can occur. Yeah, in, in your video you talk about solitude as being mm. kind of that secret sauce. And as you were talking, I, I've been training the last month uh, because I'm going to be doing a 500-mile through hike in, well, It'll be, well, I'll be doing it while this video is out. Amazing. Um, but um, so I've been hiking like, I don't know, five to seven miles a day. So lots of time alone by myself. And over that period of the last month of doing that, I don't know how many times I've like emailed myself like, oh, you should, you know, like you should, you should write this or you should do that. So, I mean, I think it, to your point, it is very effective. Yeah. And I'm really looking forward to being all by myself for 35 days in the wilderness yeah. and like, Man, I hopefully I'll come back with all kinds of ideas or in alive too. That'll be also good. That, that would be good. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, I think so. It works for me for sure. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, I have a couple more for you, Sean. You're just full of these awesome videos. You've got another video that's called "How to Be Authentic in Your Creative Work," which is a subject that I find myself talking about with people all of the time mm -hmm. um, and I found I found that that video was an excellent analysis on kind of what drives us as creatives I think we all have an inherent need for validation as artists um, but there's a need for balancing uh, that with our creative side um, versus just creating to get validation right you have to do a little bit of both mm -hmm. 
And I found you speaking a lot of truth in this video, and I was hoping you could talk a little bit about how you arrived at your conclusions and, and how they've transformed how you see yourself and your, and your work. I mean, the example, I think I dig it. I mean, this was a long time ago I made that particular video, but I think the, the example from memory that I give there is about YouTube specifically and how mm -hmm. I was faced with a choice early on to do a version of what was popular or do what I wanted to do. And uh, I mean, it, was, it wasn't a, that much of a choice in my case. It was pretty clear, but the choice was in front of me. I, 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 and, and there was a slightly seductive uh, promise in there that, hey, if you just tweak what you do a little bit, you know, if you just smile a bit more or come up with a catchphrase, you know, maybe like, and I just thought, no, I, 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 would, I knew that if I tried to do fit into the YouTube mold or, or, or be a, a, a slightly subdued British Peter McKinnon or something, I, I'd hate myself. You know what I mean? I had to be, I had to do, I had to talk the way that I talk and say the things that matter to me. And I, I wanted it to feel like, I wanted the video to feel like if you if you go for a coffee with me, I talk the same. I, right. I, I don't talk differently on a video than I talk to you over a table. This is how I speak when I care about something. This is how I talk about it, and and that was important to me because I thought if you do something with integrity and what you make comes genuinely out of who you are, I think people can tell the difference, and I think it resonates in a different way. There's there's a there's a congruity, a congruence to it that people say, ah, this is real, this is genuine through and through. Not just the message that's true, but the way he's saying it that's true, which means I can believe him when he tells me a story about his life, where he says this has mattered, is all true. There's a truth to the whole package. And uh, I, I, I made that decision early on. And I, I, I you know, I, I've watched other YouTube channels, not, not to sort of denigrate anybody, but I sometimes feel like when I'm watching these channels, I'm like, I feel like you are tap dancing a million miles an hour. It's like you're presenting a kid's show, trying to keep me entertained desperately. And maybe it's getting you more views because beginners do like to be engaged like that or people with shorter attention spans. But that, that creator, that person who makes those videos must be absolutely exhausted doing that. Mm -hmm. That must take a ton of effort and energy. And I don't know how I'd sustain that personally. I can sustain what I'm doing forever because I am just talking the way I talk. But I, to put on something would have absolutely killed me. And I think there's a version of that in everything you do. There's a version of that in photography. If you try and just go, okay, let me reverse engineer the popularity algorithm. What's, what's working out there, I'll do my version of it. You'll hate your own work after a while. Because it's not yours. It's not you. It's not what you care about. You're just cynically trying to get something from it. But if you can find a way to make work in whatever you do that's genuinely your personality on the print, on the canvas, on the screen, whatever it is. I, th I think it's, it's sustainable, you'll care more about it, and I think you'll, you'll find an audience that really cares. No guarantee it'll be a huge audience, but the audience that's there will be diehard, because they'll be like, yeah, this guy is genuine, it's real what we're seeing, and, and that is a very, very attractive quality. So that's kind of where that came from. No, I love that, I mean, he said not to denigrate, and I appreciate that, because Sometimes I wonder if some of these YouTube channels that you see that it's like you got all these clickbait titles and they're very high energy and it's sometimes I'm like, well, maybe that's just how that guy is, but I probably not. I, I, I don't know. I often find myself, sometimes it's people I even know, like mm -hmm. I, or I've met them before and I'm like, man, that's not, that's not you. It's tough, man. It's really tough. I get, I get it. Like, I think some people get into things like that 
and it's a business right that, and that, that's all it is for them and you know what they're not wrong that's fine if that's what they want it for great and they're trying to make business decisions about building popularity and, and good for you but for me it's about more than that and I'm happy to sacrifice some of the business side for the longevity of it to actually be able to still like it in 10 years you know that's that's kind of important to me too we're all making our choices and that's why I say like I don't want to I don't want to judge anyone else's decisions because I don't think I think everyone everyone's got different priorities but for me that's very important and it seems to be for a lot of the people who watch that video it's it's made them think about what they want as well and some of them have chosen the same and that's that's great if it's helping to do that yeah no I think that's that's well said and I really appreciate you saying you don't want to judge others, and I, I certainly don't want to do that either. Uh, and, you know, like, at the end of the day, those are all choices that we have, and, and what we choose to do or not do is a reflection on our values, and that's what you're putting out into the world, what you value. And if that's what you value and your audience doesn't like that, then... Or maybe they do like it, I don't know. But I value stuff like what you're doing where it's like personal and it's authentic and it's real and it's you're not sugarcoating stuff and it's mm -hmm. it has value versus just stuff that's done for the sake of doing. <laughs> yeah, I, I made the decision that I wanted to, if I was going to get onto YouTube, I wanted to produce the channel that I would want to watch, right? And I'm not, I'm not your majority audience out there, so I knew it would always <laughs> be a bit more niche. Yeah. But that's what I wanted to make because then I think I would—I I knew I'd care about it forever, and that was just—that was just a personal choice, yeah. So yeah. the fact that you're there is great, and there there are some others as well, obviously. But I don't need to be the most popular photography channel. It's not—that was never the goal. It's—it's it's make work you believe in, find your audience, have a big or small they are, and and I've got that, and I'm really happy about it. You know, I'm—I'm—I've—I've I've reached a target a long time ago. I'm done. You know, everything else is gravy. It, it is what I want it to be. So that's—it's great. Yeah. yeah. Well, maybe this is a good segue for you to tell us a little bit more about your book, The Meaning in the Making. Yeah, so it was, uh, uh, I actually wrote it in the first lockdown we all went into, oh, uh, which nice. was kind of perfect timing because I had seven months sitting at home, so I kind of just cracked through it then. Um, it's published with Rocky Nook. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's out there um, pretty much anywhere you buy books. But for me, it was it was an attempt to try and put down in a systematic way my philosophy for the creative life you know what keeps me inspired how do you find your creative voice how do you deal with perfectionism or creative envy how do you deal with the shadow side of your work um, how do you put more meaning into the things that you make what's the balance between thinking and feeling you know all these kind of like um, slightly more uh, esoteric topics but I've really made an effort to make it very very practical and, and accessible uh, again, it's not a book for photographers. It's a book for anyone who makes anything, and I, I did that consciously. Um, so yeah, it's 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 been one of the most meaningful things I've ever done, and the feedback I've got from it has been very special from those who've read it. Um, because there's a huge fear, obviously, when you're sitting alone, you know, hammering away at a book in, in lockdown with your thoughts bouncing off the walls at you. You're like, is anyone going to care about this stuff, or is this just self-indulgence? You know, but when you put it out, and they're like, no, no, no. This, this gave me words to things I already knew but didn't have words for. I'm like, yeah, that's, that's exactly what I wanted to do, so that's great. And it's kind of the thing which I feel like is the most potentially legacy thing I've done. You know, this might live after me, which, which 
feels great. This is what one human being thought at a particular point in time about this particular uh, creative life that, that, that a lot of us live. And my ideas about it may change, but this is genuinely what, what I think now and, and I, I, I stand by now. And it's, it's, been, uh, it's been really fulfilling to kind of finish and release uh, into the world. Fantastic. Well, I am sad that I haven't picked it up yet, but I'm very excited after talking to you to try to go find it. I'm sure it's not hard to find. Uh, oh, Amazon and all those kind of places. Yeah, you. Yeah. Is there a is there a better way to get it in terms of helping you? No, no. It's uh, it all goes through the publisher anyway, no matter where you buy it. So go for it. Okay. If you want the audio book, if you if you're an audio book person, you can do that directly from my website. That helps. But uh, if you want a physical copy anywhere you like it's, it's all good whatever's easiest nice okay well last question I have for you Sean who do you recommend for the podcast who is someone that inspires you that we should learn more about uh, oh, I, I want to recommend landscape photographers to you um, have you had Simon Baxter on I have okay alright okay, good. Great. Um, yeah so he's a good friend of mine he's quite he's local to me here have you had Margaret Soraya on I have. This is going to go really badly oh, for you because man, I've man, had... Man. He's already everyone. covered the bases, man. He's already, he's already done it. You've had Rachel Talibot? Of course. Okay, yeah. You, you see, you're way ahead of me. Do you, do you want to step outside of, of landscape? How about, how about uh, my friend Joshua Jackson, who's a street photographer in London? Brilliant. Might yeah, tell it. us about Joshua. So Josh... Josh is my talented friend. Like, he, he's the guy who, like... I, I've learned... He's been doing, I've been doing street photography longer than he has, and he is so much further down the road than I am. I've never met a more methodical, thoughtful, long-term goal photographer than he is. He's somebody who is, is out shooting multiple times a week to collect bodies of work that people won't see for 20, 30 years. Mm. because he's watching how the world changes and he's collecting things that might be normal to us now that he know will be incredible books in 25 years when it's gone wow. and I, I think his long-term vision and his patience is is so inspiring I mean I, I he hates it when I say it but I genuinely believe he'll be one of the greats like he is the, the work he's doing already is incredible like it's 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 really incredible it's already stacking up there with some of the best out there but what he will be in 20, 30 years, I think is gonna, I think he's gonna really blow us away. So yeah, he, he's somebody who, I mean, anytime I go down to London, I stay at his place and we walk around for hours and hours and hours. Uh, we, we actually, um, we got to know each other before the lockdown, but during lockdown it became this, when we were allowed to go out for daily walks and exercise, he lived on the north end, oh sorry, south side of Wandsworth Common and I lived on the north end and we met in the middle and we just did laps around the common during the day, photographing whatever we saw just for hours and hours so he's he's a really good friend and I, I, I consider him one of my kind of creative journey buddies uh, one of those close few uh, and, a, and an incredibly inspiring photographer in the way he thinks about stuff I love it and hopefully he doesn't hit the past the sun point the midday too soon oh I do you know what like I think he's hit a few crises already I think he's already <laughs> like yeah, I mean he, he doesn't care about gear already he's, he's well past Gotcha. Well, past worrying about that, he's uh, yeah, he's he's. Uh, I'm telling you, I'm, I'm trying to keep up with him, and he's 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 a long way running down the road. He's a special guy. Oh, it's always good to have one friend that you're like, I will never be better than that person. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. What's that saying? If you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, 
Absolutely. Because uh, you're not going to get inspired, right? Like, I, I love having friends who kick my ass because it's like, wow, I've got a lot to learn from you. And anytime we go walking and chatting and photographing together, I always come back with something to think about, just in the way he sees the world and what he captures. Nice. Well, Sean, this has been fantastic. So, man, thank you so much for joining me. And I am really excited to get this episode out into the world. Great. Uh, thanks for having me. It's great chatting to you, man. Of course. Well, thank you to Sean for the tremendous chat on today's podcast. I highly encourage everyone to check out his book, The Meaning in the Making. I think that it will make you a much more thoughtful photographer and it will accelerate your creative pursuits in a way that gear, tutorials, and workshops simply can't. Thanks for all you do, Sean. <clears throat> That's all for now. Thanks for stopping in, collaborating with us, and listening. See y'all next week.